Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 20 of Dick Skins and Nylon. I'm Wally Lukashensky, and today we're actually playing a man down. No Casey Mock on the pod, but that just means we get even more of Hayden Ramsey. It is Thursday, September 9th, and college football is back, so we have a whole bunch to talk about. But first, let's check in on our man from Northwest Ohio, Hayden. Talk about a busy three days you have coming up here. Your Buccaneers are hanging a banner tonight. You have a game to coach tomorrow. And then the Buckeyes play Oregon at noon on Saturday. Has your heart rate slowed down even a little this week? Yeah, talk about busy. This is going to be a crazy three-day stretch here. Actually, really four days because I'm still excited for the NFL to open up on Sunday, even though my Bucks are playing tonight. But yeah, it's going to be crazy. We're, we're kind of starting our podcast a little bit earlier on a Thursday just because I'm really, really trying to watch the game tonight, watch that banner go up. It's, it's going to be really neat. Bucks minus nine, I think, is up to is an absolute lock. If you want to get your bet in, absolutely hammer it. We got another game tomorrow on Friday, a high school game. That's going to be interesting is the word I'll use, to say the least. And then on Saturday, this this game, I have so many mixed emotions on this Ohio State-Oregon game. I don't really know where to go. It sounds like maybe... A couple key guys on both sides could be banged up, so that could play a big role in it. But, you know, we'll, we'll get into it. I'm sure we'll get into it a lot here in a little bit. Well, good luck to your Bucks. You're saying minus nine's a lock. That's, that's nuts because I actually have Bucks to win, but I think it's going to be a game that ends up playing out to be about a touchdown. So I'm kind of, like, hesitant to touch that. But we will get into Ohio State, those Bucks and those Ducks, because you mentioned guys like Kayvon Thibodeau look like they might not even play anymore. Mario Cristobal talking about it sounds like they're not going to rush him back. Makes sense there. But we will get you out of here quickly so that you get to see your Buccaneers tonight. Don't think it's going to be as long purely because we have two guys talking instead of three. You're cutting out an entire opinion on a lot of these games. So it will be quick, but I hope you guys enjoy the ride. We'll jump right into our topics, and unfortunately... Topics this week, a lot of it has to do with injuries. Ronnie Bell had a right knee injury last week. We kind of knew right away that it was serious. He is going to be missing the remainder of the year. That also goes the same with Mohamed Ibrahim, which I've been calling him Ibrahim this whole time. Finally took me watching that game last Thursday to click in my head that it's Ibrahim. But he has an unspecified lower leg injury that will also keep him out the rest of the year. Let's start first with Ronnie Bell, Hayden. This Michigan team is the same one that on Saturday did not complete more than one pass to any of their wide receivers except for Cornelius Johnson, who had two catches for 15 yards. Where is the production going to come from to replace Ronnie Bell, or is it just simply not going to happen? Yeah, this this is a really, really tough blow for Michigan, especially because it seemed like Ronnie Bell was really starting to hit his stride. I mean, we we watched that game, and I know they're playing Western Michigan in the opener, but he looks he looked really really good. He was impressive, and even in the return game, I I think that's kind of an underrated aspect of what he brought to the team. And you know, of course, he got hurt on the kick return. It was just so unfortunate because he was showing a lot of flash, and it seemed like it was his pop. Um, you know, his pop year, I guess is what I'm going to call it, where he was really going to come onto the scene. 
unfortunately, I don't I don't know what Michigan's going to do. Um, it, it already seemed like they were not very deep. I'm going to say at the wide receiver position, and losing probably their best receiver really makes that even tougher. You know, I I don't know what it's going to do in terms of his eligibility. I don't know if he'll be able to get. I know he was a senior, but I don't know if he'll be able to get another year with a potential medical redshirt or how, how everything with the COVID situation is going to play out. But if they could get him back for the, the following year, I think that would be a, a, a nice pickup for them. It's a shame, too, because if he had managed to even play one or two more games at the level we saw him at least start in that first half, I think that you could make a case that even while injured, he would move up enough on draft boards where he could leave next year and be at a position where he felt very comfortable where he's getting selected. Now you don't have that. You're still going to have those question marks. So I kind of do hope for his sake, he gets that medical red shirt and he comes back. Now, Josh Gaddis mentioned in an interview this week, three names in particular that he said needs to step up in the absence of Ronnie Bell. I already mentioned one of them in being Cornelius Johnson. CJ, as the Michigan fans will be calling him. He was the number two wide receiver in yards last year. Led the team with three touchdowns. Remember, it was a shortened year, so that's a little bit shorter or less amount than you would expect. But the other two guys are sophomores. He mentioned Roman Wilson. Last year, nine catches, 122 yards and two touchdowns. And I think the most intriguing name was A.J. Henning because he is going to be expected to at least step into that punt returning role as well. Very similar skill set at least. Same right around the height range. AJ is 5'10", Ronnie Bell six foot. Kind of would imagine that they want to just plug and play and hope that the falloff isn't that extreme. But man, good luck to Michigan. That's a tough blow this early, especially before a difficult Washington game coming up. But then let's go to Muhammad Ibrahim. Looks again like an Achilles. He was looking so good for that Minnesota team. And had he stayed healthy... They would have been in a lot better position than the one they currently find themselves in. Looks like redshirt sophomore Trayson Potts is going to be saddled with that task of replacing that production. What do you make of this? Do you know anything about Potts? What do you think Minnesota's expectations need to be now? I don't know what they even say. This is a big blow. This is devastating for Minnesota. We were talking before you know, the opening game last week how Ibrahim is just such a huge positive for this team. And I think maybe I mentioned it on the last podcast, but his injury could cause like a two or three game extra loss for this Minnesota team, which for a team that was probably only going to win eight games, maybe to, to have that bump down to now six, or possibly even worse, it's just horrible for them. I don't really know anything about this guy who is who is going to try to replace, and I put replace here in, in air quotes because you can't really replace a guy like Ibrahim. You know, I, I just don't think it's possible, really. That guy's getting put into not a horrible situation with that offensive line play, but it's just so tough to try and follow in the footsteps of somebody of his caliber. Just really unfortunate for Minnesota. We, we we talked about how this guy could be a potential Big Ten Player of the Year, Offensive Player of the Year candidate. And no matter who you play for, no matter what team you play for, you lose a guy like that, you're really going to take a hit. 
So I, I really feel I feel bad for him personally, but I also feel bad for Minnesota as a team. Uh, very well said. This was kind of a gut punch to the conference because he is a guy that I feel like was finally getting the due in that opening game with Ohio State. Felt like a coming out party of sorts. And had he stayed healthy, you would have had eyeballs on him the rest of the year. Now, in terms of Potts, you did say it, and he is going into about as good of a situation as you could hope for, especially at a Minnesota kind of caliber school. You have to almost hope that offensive line and Tanner Morgan and the passing game in general are going to be able to elevate his gameplay, elevate what he can do, because without that kind of running support they have, yeah, you hit it on the head. I do feel like this is a two or a three game difference than what it could be. Just not good. If you bet before the season Minnesota under total wins, I don't know what their line, I forget what their line for total total wins was, but if you bet the under, you're feeling much, and I hate to say it this way, but you're feeling good about that bet because of this injury. Well, and vice versa, naturally, if you had the over, talk about feeling gutted right now. Oh, it's, yeah, it's pretty pretty much dead in the water, you would think. It's just, it's not going to happen. No, especially when you have a Wisconsin team that you know is going to be really out for, I guess, revenge the rest of the year. You're going to have a Iowa team that is going to be a very tough game to play regardless of where that one's at. It's something to keep an eye on. But yeah, we're, we're definitely hoping for Muhammad Ibrahim's future that he can still, whether he comes back next year or just go see the NFL, we're excited to see where he plays and what he does. Now to Ohio State talk for a second. Dan Hope of 11 Warriors writes today that Paulier Nauteote, you like that pronunciation, had to go for the vernacular. I was proud of that. That's amazing that you got that. I tried. Co- I coming from a guy who couldn't pronounce McNamara last week. I still don't know if I can pronounce McNamara half the time. Like I'm in my own head so far that it's just a nightmare. But Paulier Nauteote his appeal to be immediately eligible for this campaign for Ohio State was denied by the NCAA. He will not be able to play this year. Now, all of a sudden, Ohio State will be looking to guys like Taraja Mitchell, Tommy Eichenberg, Cody Simon, and Dallas Gaunt to step up and become the difference maker that that unit desperately needs. You tried to talk me off the ledge preseason because you know that this has been the position group that I've been panicked about for the last, I'd say even six months, try to convince me that everything's okay and that this linebacking core is going to be good enough to still let Ohio State be on that upper echelon tier. I'll start by saying this is unfortunate for Nauteote because, you know, this guy's been banged up a lot and it seems like with how the NCAA is, is you know, working with these eligibility waivers, it seemed like... It felt like he should get the waiver just because they've been handing it out to basically anybody who transferred, which is unfortunate for him. But to kind of walk you off off the ledge here, or back you off the ledge, not walk you off the ledge, back you off the ledge, I don't think he was going to be like this huge impact player even if he was eligible. Like, he would probably play minutes, but he wouldn't be... It's not like they were gaining some some superstar stud from the portal. I think Ohio State's linebacker play is going to be okay this year, and I still believe that even after week one. Look, I, I think they have one linebacker position 
set in stone, and that's Trajan Mitchell. I think he's going to play pretty much all the time. They're still trying to figure out who that other linebacker is, and I think the reason why is because Cody Simon, who played very limited last week, was a little banged up, and in his limited action, he had a sack, and he showed some of that explosiveness that we expect from an Ohio State linebacker. And I think as he gets more healthy, he's going to be on the field more. I mean, he's going to be, it's going to be those two who are having the bulk of the of the snaps. And I think that having those two, the speed of Cody Simon and the downhill ability of Taraja Mitchell, I think will really make you feel much better as we move forward. You know, playing Minnesota, even though, you know, they're an okay team. But the way that they play put more stress on the linebackers than what we will face, I think, going forward the rest of the year until we play a potential Wisconsin or an Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game. Like, Oregon, you know, plays a different style, and I think I think that will suit Ohio State better than what Minnesota did. I actually want to ask you a follow-up question there just because, first of all, a couple follow-ups, I should say. So do you think then that Cody Simon's speed and explosiveness is at least on par or close enough to polyate now Teote? Or because that was the big thing for me is I really wanted that speed element at that linebacker position for the playoff if you do get there. Yeah, that's a really good question. And to be honest, I, I, I can't, I hate to do this to you. I really can't answer it because now Teote's, what's the word I'm looking for here? His experiences with, injuries in the past I think if you asked me this question when he was coming out of high school I probably would say maybe not because he was highly touted and you know he was he was really good coming out of high school he was a big time recruit but after all his injuries I don't know if he is back to that I just don't know if he could be back to where he was before and I, and I think Cody Simon who is who is really young he's super young he showed that flash last week and as he gets more healthy I really think he's going to be the next really, really good linebacker from Ohio State. Well, it feels like we've been waiting on one probably since Raekwon McMillan. We've had a little bit of a spell here. And My you, boy. Your boy is right. And look at it, too, where Ohio State's defense has really fallen off in that time. And it feels like the linebacking core has been a large responsibility of that. My second follow-up I wanted to ask you real quick before we go on to our previews is Anthony Brown. He is mobile. He is not necessarily the most accurate passer as we got to see in that Fresno State game last week. You talk about putting pressure on the linebacking group. To me, I looked at this as a natural, this is something you don't see every day in the Big Ten. This is going to really put a test on a group that I don't feel like is going to be tested very much throughout the rest of the regular season. What do you think they'll look like this weekend? Because that, I mean, regardless of what they looked like last week, you go into the horseshoe, everything's thrown out the window. I'm a little nervous. I guess you have reason to be traditionally, well, not maybe traditionally, but in recent memory, mobile quarterbacks have given Ohio State a little bit of some fits. You know, you think back to the, the first game I think of is Trace McSorley when when they, you know, when we were at... Penn State a couple years ago when when we had that comeback and he's running away from Tough Borland the entire game. You have reason to be, but I think we'll have a different 
mentality, or at least this is this is what I'm hoping, is we have a little bit of a different mentality from this Ohio State defense going into this week. You know, last week we saw Tana Morgan have a few runs, you know, here and there, but I, I think that has to do more with what we were trying to do on defense because he is not a legitimate running threat. And I think going into Oregon, we know that Anthony Brown is. And I think our philosophy and our game plan will be much more geared towards stopping that, given that he is, you know, around that 50% career passer. I guess the one thing that I will desperately be rooting for on Saturday is that the the linebackers... Well, of course, naturally, of course the over. But I was going to say, I want to see our linebackers play with conviction, where if they get... I don't want to see that where, oh my gosh, is he going to run? Is he not? Where then you're stuck in no man's land where Anthony Brown has that option to do either thing. That's the worst place you can be because you're opening up Pandora's box, so to speak. So I just want to see that back seven play with conviction this weekend. And if they do, I think there's a really good chance Ohio State comes out on top. We're not going to do our recruiting corner this week simply because there hasn't been a lot out there. We will be back next week. We'll have our full two-week recap of that. Depending on what that looks like, there's a chance we go to every other week in season or at least until we have major recruits and major commitments coming in. Now, with that being said, we are going to go into our game previews now. And I'll give you a few little, I guess, heads up going into this. There's three or four games this week where the Big Ten opponent plays an FCS team. We're not going to be betting on those games because most of the time, these lines are different book to book. It doesn't feel right. We're not going to do it. We're not confident in those games anyways because the numbers are usually so high. It doesn't feel right to tell you guys we'd be betting them when we truly probably won't be. So let's go right into it. Our first game of the weekend, the 11 o'clock kick. Feels like our honorary Big Ten team, and I'll tell you why here in a second. But Illinois is traveling to Virginia at 11 a.m. That is going to be on the ACC network. Reason I brought this up first, too, is I will be interviewing Drew Meyer yet again tomorrow. That will be on our Sunday show going into Monday. So even though he'll be talking about this in the lead-up to the game, realize that this was intentionally done. Doesn't make sense to postpone sending this out until after that interview. What a great guy he is, by the way. He's a fantastic guy. Dude, he's awesome. It's that Wisconsin charm, baby. You gotta have the niceness from Wisconsin. Well, let's get into our lines for you. Illinois is a 10.5 point dog at Virginia, as I was mentioning. That's an even minus 110 for both. I'll come out and tell you mine first in Casey's before I throw it over to Hayden. I have Virginia covering the 10.5. Casey does as well. My reasoning, and realize Casey's, we're not going to give reasons for him. He only gave us his scores. If he wants to tell us more on Sunday, he will. But I have this for the simple fact that we don't know if Peters is going to be back or not for Illinois. And without him there, I mean, that offense just doesn't look very comfortable throwing the ball. And Virginia is a much better team than UTSA. If they're one-dimensional and Archer Sikowski's not able to get it done, I think that you're going to be looking at a bit of a blowout here. I'm not taking the money line because it's not close enough, and you already heard I'm taking Virginia. I'm going to take the over, or I excuse me, I'm going to take the under, and that's minus 112. The over pays minus 108. Casey also has the under. My score prediction for you is Virginia 38, Illinois 13. Aiden, let's hear from you. 
Who do you have in the spread, and what's your over-under, buddy? Yeah, I don't I don't know if I can ever bet on Illinois the rest of this season after last week. I was, you know, w- actually, Wally, you, you called this. You said they were either going to lose outright or they would win by double digits last week. And the, the way that they played last week made me actually sick to my stomach. I had actual money on the game. Like, I actually bet, not just, like, our picks. So, watching that game... It, that that made me feel horrible. So I cannot pick Illinois. I'm going Virginia minus ten and a half. The over under here is fifty five and a half, which seems honestly a little high to me. We're all gonna watch here. We're we're all gonna go under, and we're all gonna go Virginia minus ten and a half. We did the same thing last week. We started the first noon games pretty much all the same, except for the big one. Maybe we'll get to that point, too, once we get to the big noon game. But let's jump now to the Youngstown State at Michigan State game. This is one of the games I mentioned. This is on Big Ten Network. We're not going to be betting because it's an FCS opponent game. But we'll just real quickly mention, this is a fun little sandwich game for Michigan State. And what I mean by that is they are coming off of a very nice win at Northwestern last week. And it is right before going to play the Hurricanes down there in Miami. They didn't look good last week, but how much of that is Alabama's just on a different plane, and you can't really blame that much on Miami. I'm sure Patrick Thorne will try to get more involved this week. Kenneth Walker III was basically unconscious. Four rushing touchdowns, like 264 yards. I think this will be where you're going to see them try to pass a little bit, try to get both sides of that offense really clicking. What do you think when you're looking at this? Is there any kind of, I guess, thing you're going to really focus on? Or is this going to be kind of off your radar on Saturday? Unless unless it's getting close around 2, 2.30. Yeah, no, this game is completely off my radar. Unless it does get close, which I highly doubt that it will. No, I actually am. You know, I'm not going to watch the game, but I'll, I'll sure keep up with the stats. And I'll be in, interested to see what Kenneth Walker does this week after his great performance last week. Having a running game for Michigan State, you know, they're not a sexy team by all, by any stretch, but if they can actually have a running game this year and help out that passing attack, I'm not saying they're going to, you know, win a bunch of games, but they can be competitive in a bunch of games, which I think is a huge step in the right direction for them. If there was one FCS team that was going to push or compete this week, I think it would probably have to be Youngstown State, though. We've seen them in the past beat a pit team or compete with other ACC teams. I don't think any of these FCS teams get a win this week against any of these Big Ten opponents. So I'm with you, Hayden. I probably won't be watching unless it gets too close. There's too much good football on. But Youngstown State's not a team I guess you would at least want to overlook. That's easier said than done, especially with the lead-up of Miami the following week. Speaking of Miami, though, Miami of Ohio. They're going up to Minneapolis. Minnesota is a 19.5 point favorite at home. Casey has them covering the spread. He also has them hitting the over. Now, before we go to mine, I figure we'll do a little back and forth since it's two of us. Hayden, for you, Minnesota, 19.5 point favorite, and the over under at 53.5. What do you think's going on here? I'll be interested to see how Minnesota bounces back. You know, I thought they played last week really, really hard. First of all, I thought they played hard. But I didn't think they really 
they played that bad at all. I, I think Ohio State's offense is pretty good, and that's why they put up the you know the points that they did. I see no reason why they don't cover this 19.5 points, and I'm going to take them. I'll take them minus 19.5. I, I think they get it done even without or even with the loss of their running back. This is a great game, I think, for Trayson Potts to kind of get settled a little bit, you know, in the in the starting rotation. You know, I don't think he's going to put up Ibrahim numbers, but he'll, I think he'll have a good day. And I think Minnesota gets on the right track here uh, with the win. Now, with the over-under of 53.5, I'm actually going to, to take the under here. I think Minnesota, you know, I think they're going to control the ball just like they did against Ohio State with that rushing attack. I, I don't see them airing it out too much, even though they probably could in this game. I think they're going to control the clock, bleed the clock, get get Potts a little uh, confidence going into week three. That's pretty much spot on with the way I'm looking at this as well. This is a great opportunity to at least get Potts in the flow of the offense. That line should at least control the Miami defensive line. And you'd imagine that can build not only the confidence there for Potts, but you're also going to be looking at Chris Ottman-Bell should be back as well. He was able at times last year to really be explosive and change games without that running game being what it is. That's going to be more important than ever before. So I'm looking forward to seeing how Ottman Bell looks. He is probable. He's not guaranteed to be back. I should have mentioned that on the report. But if he is back, expect Tanner Morgan to try to get him the ball. He's the kind of guy, especially in a game like this, if you can see Potts and Ottman Bell both over 100 yards on the ground and in through the air respectively, I think you feel at least comfortable with the job Potts is going to do stepping in. Now let's go to another game we're going to not spend too, too much time on. Indiana State is traveling to Northwestern. To me, this was just an opportunity. It's again, a get-right game for Northwestern. They looked terrible against Michigan State last week. They were down three scores before you even blinked, and it never really allowed that offense to get into their style of play. I mean, to give you an idea, this is Northwestern we're talking about. Big 10 Northwestern. They did not have a running back that had more than nine rush attempts last Saturday. That is unprecedented with Pat Fitzgerald as your coach. I do not expect to see that again the rest of the year. I don't think there will be a single time, regardless of the score, you see that. I think they got a little bit out of character because of that early deficit. Now here, listen to this cakewalk of a schedule here before it gets hard here, Hayden. Indiana State this week at Duke, home against Ohio, at Nebraska, home against Rutgers. The way this Pat Fitzgerald team can be, the way he coaches, if this team takes the strides, there's no reason to think they can't go at least 4-1 and one in that stretch. And that's when it gets interesting because you jump into that last part of the schedule for them. In the course of four weeks, you go to Ann Arbor. You host Minnesota. You host Iowa and you go to Camp Randall. That is about as tough of a four-week stretch as you can find in a Big Ten, especially for a team like Northwestern. I do think Northwestern dominates this game. We don't have bets on it, but I guess for you, again, is there anything you're focused on, or is this another one of those games that, if it's not close, we'll reassess the stats, look at highlights Sunday morning, and go from there? I'm leaning towards that way, but I, I do really think that it's important for Northwestern to be able to establish a run and find a running back that they can give more than nine attempts to. I think that's a little crazy. 
especially for a Northwestern team, I feel like that's where their hat is usually hung, is running the ball and being physical up front. And I only got to watch the second half last week uh, because of my own game. That did not really look like a Northwestern team really that I that I know, you know, and that's not I'm sure that's not the team that Pat Fitzgerald was hoping that was out there last Friday. So, yeah, I'm not going to pay too much attention, but I do think they need to find someone who they can hand the ball to into the double digits. Yeah, and they, to be fair, I guess to Fitzgerald and that coaching staff, this is a very young Wildcats team, one that lost a lot of key contributors last year. So hopefully, and you know, with the way they are, they probably will improve throughout the year. We will see more of that physicality on both sides of the ball on that line of scrimmage. And hopefully for their sake, they figure it out sooner than later. But now to the game you and I really care about. The one that I, I've had my stomach in a knot for since last Thursday night when that final bell rung in Minnesota. The number 12 Oregon Ducks are going to Columbus to the horseshoe. They got Ohio State, the number three ranked Buckeyes, at noon on Fox. Now, this line looks a little funky just because we'll get into it with Kayvon Thibodeau. But Oregon's banged up, but they're 14 and a half point dogs right now. That surprised me at how big that number was. I am obviously very high on what the Buckeyes are. And I just am worried that people are a little bit overreacting to what Oregon did against Fresno State. I think they're better than what we saw. I suppose we'll figure out a lot with Anthony Brown's performance on Sunday against a better defense. But I'll go to you first here, Hayden. I'll give you Casey's picks real quick before we loop back around to me. Oregon is plus 14 and a half. Casey has Oregon covering. And he has the under of 63 and a half hitting as well. That pays minus 112. Hayden, who do you got to win this game? Who's covering? And what's your gut telling you about what we should see on Saturday? We mentioned this in the in the beginning, how I have so many things just to think about with this game. I think I am taking the complete opposite approach that both you and Casey are going to take. I think Ohio State is going to win this game by at least three touchdowns. Like I, I think they're going to come out and they're going to win this game rather convincingly. And that has to do a little bit with Oregon's injuries, but not really that much, honestly. Even if Thibodeau was not injured last week, I, I still think Ohio State would take care of business. And maybe they don't win by as much because he is a very... I mean, he, he, he very well could be the number one overall pick next year. I think Ohio State is going to be much, much better in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Ohio State could probably run for 250 yards in this game. And I, and I, I think Casey, and I'm sure maybe you even a little bit, you said you were a little nervous. And I have that weird feeling where I'm not. I'm not nervous at all which usually comes and backfires. But I really think this Ohio State team is much, much better. I'm taking Ohio State minus 14 and a half, and I would take that line even if it was a little higher, I think. I'm also going to take the over. I think Ohio State's going to score a bunch of points. And we, we still are a little suspect on Ohio State's defense. We don't quite know what they are yet. And, I, and you know, Minnesota was completely different approach than what Oregon's going to be. So I think Oregon will score a little bit. But I think Ohio State's offense is just going to be too overwhelming for Oregon's defense, especially with Thibodeau banged up. And I think Oregon has another linebacker that is possibly out for this game. I think he got hurt before the first game as well. 
So, isn't it like Justin Lowe or something like that? No, I, I think it was somebody different, actually. I think it's this D. Mathis guy. I'm pretty sure that guy was penciled in as a starter before the year. And he got hurt, and they had to play a younger guy. Which, they did last week, so I guess it's not like a huge thing this week. You can edit that out, obviously. Oh, God, dude, don't worry about that. I'm very comfortable looking like an idiot. I think most of the people listening will get used to it. <laughs> yeah. I was listening to our guy, Ari Wasserman... Which, you know, he loves to throw out some of some hot takes. One of the takes that he, and I'm not going to take credit this credit for this, but one of the things that he said on his podcast that I listened to today was, how do we know that Oregon is even better than Minnesota? Like, how do we truly know? And it got me thinking a little bit. I know that Oregon has some high-profile players, especially on their defense. But, like, Anthony Brown is nothing special through the year. And if we can contain him on, you know, with his legs, I think they're going to be in for a long a long day. If we can contain his legs, I completely agree, but that's the big question because if you are just taking his legs out of it, Tanner Morgan is a better quarterback than Anthony Brown, but Anthony Brown has that extra dynamic that Tanner Morgan doesn't have, and that'll be I think the million dollar question going into Saturday is what is he able to do with his feet? Is he able to do enough that he can create some space through the air. I think he's able to at least have a functional day. Now, that was a hot tape from Ari because I do think Oregon is better, especially now without Mohamed Ibrahim. But I don't think they're that much better where it's going to be that point of the game where you start wondering if Ohio State's going to win or not. I do think that this is the over as well. I'm giving Oregon the benefit of the doubt covering, but just by a little bit. I have the final score in this game being 38-27, to And to be honest, I feel like that's the low end on where Ohio State's going to score. You asked us last week, or I think it might have been Casey, how many points would Iowa have to score against Ohio State in a Big Ten title game to beat Ohio State? I want to turn and ask the same question. How many points does Oregon have to score on offense to beat Ohio State in Columbus? Wow, yeah. (laughs) I I think you might be a little... Well, maybe not. I don't know. I I think they have to score 40 points. I think they would have to score 40 offensive points to beat Ohio State in Columbus. And I don't think they're going to score anywhere near that. You know, I think they'll be in the 20s probably. I think that my number would be 34 if Kayvon Thibodeau was playing. But because he's not playing, I'm probably right in that same neighborhood. I gave us 38 points, Ohio State that is, and I felt like that was the low end. So I... Not far off. I'm not going to give a set number, but he'd be in that 38 to 41 point range, I think, just like you. Which means, if we're right, and I usually don't like doing this for non-conference games, but if we're right, that puts Ohio State 10-0 all-time against the Ducks. Talk about an area of the country that must just hate, hate Ohio. That, that's an interesting stat. I, I didn't know that before you just said that, so that's really cool. One thing I did kind of want to mention, though, is, and I know we're so, so early in the season, but this game does have potential playoff implications. Honestly, I, you know, with how the playoffs are set now, like Ohio State could lose this game and it really doesn't, I hate to say it doesn't matter, but it kind of doesn't matter. Like if they run the table in the Big Ten, they're going to get in at at 12 and one Big Ten champ. And, you know, that's a little different for Oregon because of how the Pac-12 is. They, if they lose this game and run the table in the pack in the Pac-12, there's a chance that they still don't get in just because of the Pac-12's perception. 
I think they would have to lose a close game and then run the table. Because if they do lose, let's say this is like a 49 to 21 kind of game, is it bad enough where they do get left out by, let's say, even the potential that, let's say Cincinnati finds a way to run the table this year. They beat Notre Dame and South Bend. They beat Indiana and Bloomington. I think I would give Indiana, or Indiana, I think I would give Cincinnati the benefit of the doubt over an Oregon team that went 12-1, and won the Pac-12, but got boat raced by a playoff team in Ohio State. I think I agree with you. And here's my one last point that I want to bring up in terms of national perception, playoff, you know, playoff uh, implications. We could look back, you know, once once we get down the road of a couple months, and I and I feel like maybe I'm dogging on Oregon a little bit. I don't think they're that good. I really don't. Yeah, I think they're a top twenty-five team, but they're definitely. I don't think they're in. I don't think they're a top ten team. I don't think maybe even a top fifteen team. I think they're somewhere in that twenty-five to fifteen range, which is a good solid team. But I think we could look back in a couple weeks or a couple months, and this could be like one of those fake good wins. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we beat Oregon, and uh, it's all it's all great. But deep down, we know Oregon's not that great. And, you know, it's the same thing that Alabama does every year. I was just going to bring up, it's what we were yeah. talking about on Sunday. Alabama's win over number 14 Miami isn't going to be over the 14th best team in the country when we look back on it. That was exactly my point. It's going to be the same thing that, and I don't know if Ohio State's going to beat Oregon the way that Alabama beat Miami, but it's the same principle, you know, type of debate. And and Alabama's been doing this, doing this for years. Uh, you know, they scheduled, they played USC non-conference in a, on a neutral site. They've played Michigan non-conference in a neutral site. And I know uh, Ohio State game is not neutral site, but it's the same idea. And <laughs> I, I think looking, looking forward, they're going to get credit for this fake good win. I think that's a really good spot to transition. We'll have a lot more to talk about, I'm sure, on Sunday morning. You guys will hear it probably on Monday morning. But let's go now to the 2 o'clock game. Going to be forgotten about because that's naturally what this game is for. But Rutgers is going to play at Syracuse in the Dome. What's it called? Do you remember what it's called? Uh, It's a Carrier Dome, right? Or something like that? Yeah, I believe it's the Carrier Dome. Perfect. There you go. The house that, what, Jim Boeheim built. That's on ACC Network at two. Rutgers is a one and a half point favorite right now, so it's pretty much a pick 'em. Now, Casey has Rutgers covering and the money line, and he has the over, which is set at 51 and a half. I'll go first this time before throwing it over to you. I'm also going to take Rutgers to cover this game and take the, obviously, at that point, I'm going to take their money line because it is inside that three and a half point window we wanted to give. But I'm going to take the under. And I couldn't have picked a narrower margin for it. I had to score at 27 to 24 Rutgers, which would be at 51 exactly, half a point under that over-under. I just have a feeling that Syracuse is really going to struggle to move the ball. Rutgers' defense was a lot more impressive than I expected last week. I understand Temple doesn't exactly have a lot on offense, but Syracuse doesn't have much either. Their starting quarterback, Tommy DeVito, had 92 passing yards last week, and they beat Ohio on the road. Credit to them. It was a road game. They beat Ohio 29-9. Sean Tucker, their starting running back, who I imagine is going to be a difference maker, a catalyst, so to speak, in this game. He had 181 rushing yards 
with two touchdowns on 25 carries. I don't think he gets it done there. And then I didn't see the Ohio-Syracuse game naturally. But if Tommy DeVito struggles to throw the ball again, I think Rutgers wins, and I might even be off. It might not be by enough. But I have Rutgers winning this game 27-24. to Hayden, how about you? Honestly, I completely agree with you, Wally. Gosh, we're all, we're all lockstepped again. I am also taking Rutgers minus one and a half. And since it's within that five-point window, I am also taking Rutgers money line. Um, my, you know, minus 130, that's pretty good value for the money line. I would take that. The only thing I'm going to disagree here with Wally is, is I am taking the over. You know, I think Rutgers is going to score. And I, I think Syracuse will score just enough to hit the over. So I'm going to, I'm going to be with Casey here. I'm taking the over of 51 and a half. I'm actually happy and I don't have it in front of me, but I'm happy you brought up going with Casey there. Cause it just hit me. We should probably have let everybody know where we're at after last week. And Casey dominated. We mentioned on Sunday briefly about that was, the record. That was a brutal week. Last week was a brutal Saturday for me. You and me both had a rough one where now this is just off the top of my head. It's not exact, but Casey's in the neighborhood of four units up through two weeks. Yeah, I actually have I have oh, it up please. on the spreadsheet yeah, since, I'm, since I'm updating. So as everybody know, I went 3-0 week one. So I was up four units. Casey was 1-1. He was down .06 of a unit, and Wally went 2-1. So he was up 2.04 units uh, going into the first official week of college football. And then last week happened. I went 7-12, so I lost 5.74 units. Absolutely horrible. Casey went the exact opposite. He went 12-7, so he was plus 4.23 units. And Wally was somewhere in between. He went 9-11. and 11. He was minus 1.62 units. So that brings us to our total record in units, which actually my total record's not horrible. Even after that last week, I'm 10 and 12. Casey's 13 and 8. Wally is 11 and 12. But since we're going by units, not record, we, we had a long conversation with Casey about how units worked. It was very entertaining. Uh, I just had to throw that out there. I am now, after being in first place, I am now in last place. I am down one point, basically seven, five units. Wally is in second. He's up 0.42 units. And Casey takes a commanding lead. He is up 4.17 units. So he he is in the lead here by a decent chunk going into week two. This is where you have to do a spin zone where you say, hey, if a unit for you is a million dollars, Casey's up like four million bucks right now. So it's not a big deal. So good on Casey. Then you and I, we just have to tell people we're only betting $1 units because then it's fine. You're only down at buck 50. You're all right. It's not a big deal. But we'll go now to Purdue at Connecticut, where technically this is not an FCS game, but it certainly feels like it. Connecticut is potentially the biggest dumpster fire in Division I football right now. They're 34 and a half point home dogs to the Purdue Boilermakers. That's insane to say out loud. Randy Edsall was forced out after an embarrassing loss to Holy Cross. He initially said he was going to be gone at the end of the season. That was bumped up to immediately. So now we're looking at defensive coordinator Lou Spanos will be acting interim head coach, which makes me feel a little weird about this game, Hayden. I don't like having an interim coach, especially in his first game at home. Do we see a team that rolls over and completely gives up? 
Or do we see a team that plays really passionately defending their head coach, their new interim head coach? Casey picks UConn to cover the 34 and a half and the under 57.5. I don't have a lot else to say, so I'm just going to give you my picks before I throw it to you. I do think Purdue gets it done. I think Connecticut gets rolled over again. I think it's going to be a very common sight for them this year. The overhits as well. I have Purdue scoring enough to make the overhit. It's 49-13. to 13. UConn literally just needs 8.5 points, and I think they get that. Are you going with Randy Edsel's former team, or are you going to go with the Boilermakers? I feel really bad for Randy Edsel because, you know, he had that previous stint at UConn. He was there before. And, you know, he had them rocking and rolling a little bit. And, you know, this second time around obviously just didn't quite work out. So I do feel bad that they let him go, especially after he announced his retirement and then all of a sudden he's forced to step down. It's just a weird situation. I'm with you, Wally. I I do feel weird because of the interim head coach. I I think that could give UConn a little bit of a spark. Not in any terms of winning the game at all, but in terms of the spread, I think that could help them out a little bit. Uh, With that being said, I'm still going to rock with Purdue, minus 34 and a half. I've seen UConn just a little bit, and they have been absolutely horrible. And I actually read an article before the season. There was two teams better should fade this whole year. One of them was Bowling Green, who actually covered against Tennessee week one, which actually I think was that week zero. That was week zero uh, where they covered against Tennessee. That was the same night Ohio State played Minnesota. Is that technically week zero or week one then? I guess that's week one. Yeah, Sorry, it, that's You know, it one. doesn't really matter, but I got you. Yeah. So Purdue was one of them. And the second team was UConn because of how dreadful they are. And <laughs> like I said, having the inter- interim head coach, I think could make a little difference in terms of the spread. But I'm fading UConn, and I'm rolling with Purdue. I'm also going to take the over uh, 57.5. I think Purdue will probably be in the 40s, somewhere about that, which means UConn just needs to score like 10 points, 14 points. They need two scores to probably hit the over, and I think they, they could do that with garbage time considered. Just going back real quick to Randy Edsall, I had not heard this story. Maybe you have, and I I don't want to sour your opinion on him at all or make you feel less bad for him. But I started doing research for that game, and I didn't realize that when he left the first time after that, I think it was Florida State when they played in the Fiesta Bowl, he did not inform his players he was leaving and literally did not even get on their plane home. It flew immediately into College Park for Maryland. When I saw that, that's exactly why we have that transfer rule in there now. Because players should have just as much right to get out and look out for themselves as these coaches do. Wow. Yeah, I had absolutely no idea. I take back what I said about him. Not trying to make you feel like you have to hate the guy. But yeah, I just saw it. And naturally, it was one of the local UConn papers. So they were probably a little bent out of shape and hurt anyways. So there's a chance that that got a little, you know, muddy in that situation, but that's enough for right now. We'll go to Ball State is traveling to Happy Valley to face the number 11 Penn State Nittany Lions. Penn State's obviously coming off of that giant win at Camp Randall against the Badgers, 16-7. And Ball State last week, for a little bit of context, beat Western Illinois 31-21. I think this can be the perfect kind of game for Penn State. 
because last week, Ball State gave up 367 yards through the air, which is a great opportunity for Sean Clifford to get his feet wet, start feeling a little bit more comfortable before Auburn rolls into the town for the whiteout the following week. And at the same point, that Ball State offense actually was able to run the ball pretty well against Western Illinois. So that can be, I guess, an added benefit too. You have Wisconsin last week. Now you get a little bit healthier, get to play seemingly an overmatched Ball State team before you play Auburn in a real get-right game. Casey has Penn State covering the 22.5 and taking the over of 57.5. I hate to do it because we've been doing it a lot. I'm completely on the same page. Penn State covers the 22.5. The over hits easily. 50. Well, not easily. Let me excuse myself. The cover easily. The over's close. I have them winning 52-7. to So the over hits by a point and a half. Hayden, what do you got on that over of 57 and a half? And does Penn State cover the 22 and a half? We're all going to be rocking together for this game. I, I hate that we are doing this so much, but I, I feel like it's kind of also natural to kind of coalesce around certain games, which means we'll probably lose all the games that we bet together, which is fine. The one concern I do have is like the look ahead to Auburn. And I don't know if you've already mentioned that, but that's a pretty pretty big non-conference game. And that's going to be another version of the whiteout. I don't know if it's the exact whiteout, but it's a, it might be the student section whiteout or something like that. That's my only concern with them covering the 22 and a half is the look ahead. No, that's actually a really good point. I think we'll know immediately, probably about a quarter into that game, how much they are looking ahead. Because if they come out and take care of business, you feel really good about themselves going in there. But if they do come out and struggle, I'm not going to press the panic button because they probably are just looking ahead. But let's go to what I think might be, and I'm going to let you go first too on this, to a game that you've been hinting at for about three weeks now. Buffalo is traveling to Nebraska, 330 on Big Ten Network. They are 13.5 point road dogs. Stun me. The money is rolling in on Nebraska at 13.5 point favorites. They're minus 120. Just in case you might want this, Hayden, Buffalo is a plus 440 money line, and the over-under is 54.5. You called this three weeks ago that Buffalo would win. Are you still on that ship right now? I don't know. I don't know what I'm missing on this game. Like, I... I'm completely baffled that this line is two scores. So yeah, I am I am hammering Buffalo, and I actually this is the first time I want to put more than one unit on a game. I'm going to put two units on Buffalo plus thirteen and a half. Hammer that. I'm also going to put a unit on Buffalo money line because they are going to win this game outright. I promise they are going to win this game outright, and I am also putting a unit on the over so we got two units buffalo plus 13 and a half a unit on the over and a unit on the buffalo money line honestly i don't know what i'm missing which is a horrible because vegas always knows and so this could be the game where i look back this week and i could have a really good week and then i lose this game and i lose four units on one game and then all of a sudden i'm like god but yeah i'm still rocking with them I love that we have a multiple unit bet finally. We get into our third week of betting here, and it's about time. I'm not going to quite go that high, but this is where you and I are going to make up the ground this week on Casey Hayden because I 
was tossing and turning whether or not it wanted to go money line as well. Buffalo's going to cover. I'm with you. 13 and a half. It feels like a lock. And at minus 102, you even get great value. It's almost a straight up bet. I'm going to go with Buffalo money line. I finally landed on it. I'm taking Buffalo to win this game 31 to 30. It's going to come down to the nitty gritty at the end. I won't be shocked if Nebraska wins. But what I will be shocked if, if Nebraska does lose this game, Scott Frost's days are numbered. I think next Saturday against Oklahoma and Norman will be his final game then. We'll see if that happens. Last week against Fordham, Nebraska had seven guys rush for 25 yards or more in that game. It looks really good if you look at the box score and you see over 600 total yards for Nebraska. But when you see Adrian Martinez still only have 254 passing yards, that is a major red flag to me. And I love Samari Torre. On Saturday, he had eight catches, 133 yards. He had three more rush attempts for 35 yards and a touchdown, too. He looks like a difference maker. I just wish that they had a guy that could get him the ball more consistently. Buffalo, though, had four guys rush for over 50 yards last week. This is going to be a game from hell for Nebraska fans. I hope you have your seatbelts ready because there's no way in hell Nebraska covers. I was stunned. Money was coming in on that. I'm with you. 31-30 Buffalo. And at that point, you just got to really hope the Nebraska fans are able to... I I don't even know what to say. What is there to say? If you go down 1-2 to two like that, it's the darkest day in Nebraska football and it gets darker seemingly by the Saturday. I have one additional comment that I think could play a factor so Buffalo played on September 2nd, which is the same day that Ohio State played. It was that Thursday week one opener. They then have two additional days to prep for this Nebraska game. I do think that is significant. I think having two extra days to prepare for a team, especially when when you're an underdog by two scores, I don't know. I still don't know how that's possible. But I think having those extra days can make Buffalo have a couple wrinkles that Nebraska might not be ready for. And we already talked about, we already talked, while he's laughing at me here, I don't know why. You, I we was are, just going to say, two extra days to prep for what an offense that Scott Frost won't know what to do. He's going right, to just get PTSD seeing that, oh, we didn't yeah, prepare for this. That's That was exactly my point, is we go back to that Nebraska-Illinois game where Illinois comes out in something that obviously Nebraska didn't prepare for, prepare for, and all of a sudden they're lost. They're flustered. They have no idea. They made no adjustments after after that first drive where they see Illinois doing something different. Having those wrinkles could put this staff in a mind fuck. And I don't mean to say that like like I, I feel bad saying that, but it is honestly it could be true. I think the Buffalo is going to get the job done here, and that's why I'm I'm laying these units. You never want to root for a guy to lose their job, and that's not what we're doing. But my God, when you hear the levels of incompetence that is going on in that coaching staff right now, the fact that Illinois, and I know Brett Bielma is not the typical Illinois coach we have there, but he just put this guy in a mental pretzel for 60 minutes against Illinois. Two extra days for Buffalo is a long time. And I'm with you, Hayden. I'm glad that you brought that. I didn't even think about the two extra days. I still am with you. We're missing something that I don't see. People having 13 and a half here and hammering Nebraska, I think the the line could be down to five and a half, and I think I'd still be thinking about taking Buffalo. I mean, I have the money line, so clearly I'm with you. So 
Huge Bulls fan this week. Go Bulls. Yeah, and if you have a unit on that, let's call a unit 100 bucks out there. If Buffalo wins, you get your 100 back and you're making 440 more. This is where if you feel as good as Hayden, you lay some money down on that money line. I could have a horrible week. I could lose a bunch of games. And if I win this one, this is the one. If I win this, I'm back. Yeah, this is the game that everybody else in the country at 3.30 is going to be watching some SEC game that probably matters. And then there's going to be us. No, we're going to be sitting there watching the Buffalo Bulls in Lincoln, Nebraska in a slugfest. Oh, my That's God. fantastic. That's Brutal, fantastic. dude. <laughs> Gosh, all right. Well, then going from one outstanding 3.30 game to a 4.30 game, college game days, 4.30 game nonetheless. The number 10, Iowa Hawkeyes, it is a shame we don't have Casey here right now, is facing the number 9, Iowa State Cyclones in the Cyhawk Trophy, in the Cyhawk Rivalry. Iowa's won five straight against their in-state rival, and they lead the series 45-22 to all time. It's going to be 46-22 to after this week. I'm going back-to-back, Moneyline Dogs. Casey is as well. That's boring. I wish Casey didn't. But of course, you know, he's taking his Hawkeyes. I have Iowa and the under. Casey has the over though, Hayden. That is set at 46 and a half. I don't think it comes close. This feels like the typical Iowa-Iowa State game. I think Iowa wins this 21 to 17. I said this last week, and I'm going to say it again. This is the game where I'm going to start making up some ground here. You both have Iowa money line. You both have Iowa plus four and a half. Iowa State's going to win this game. And they are going to win this game by at least seven points. I would take Iowa State minus six and a half if I bought it all the way up to that. That's how confident I am. Iowa State is going to win this game by at least a touchdown. So you guys are going to be losing the units. I'm gaining the units. I'm also taking the under. I am with you, Wally. I think this game is going to be the absolute slugfest. And I could see this game finishing something like 17 to 10. Like, I could see it being that low scoring of a game. Iowa State last week didn't look great. I think they were looking forward to this game. I think they were really, they really had their eyes on this, on this in-state rivalry going on. It's weird. I will say this about Matt Campbell and that Iowa State group. It's, it has... I almost have an Ohio State-Michigan feel to it, the way they put emphasis on that Iowa game. And the reason I say that is they typically start really slow in the season, and they have lost five straight to Iowa, so I probably am giving them a little too much credit. But the reason I'm saying this is they do struggle in that non-conference garbage FCS game typically because they have everything getting thrown at Iowa. And sometimes, and I guess probably more often than not until recently, Iowa just has the horses that Iowa State hasn't. Now we have Matt Campbell with the better roster, so to speak, and they should win, and it's at home. I don't know. I just have the Hawkeyes. It's going to turn into a Spencer Petras versus a Brock Purdy Bowl to me, in which one of these guys doesn't turn the ball over and might have to make one or two throws because these are the type of teams that don't usually ask their quarterbacks to make those throws. Going to happen Saturday. One of these guys, I think, are going to have to win the game or at the very least not lose the game better than their counterpart on the other side. Now we're getting into the boring night game here. 
We have Eastern Michigan traveling to number 18, Wisconsin. 7 o'clock, that's going to be on FS1. Again, all these times are Eastern times if we do have any of you Midwest fans out there. Eastern Michigan is 26-point dogs. It's coming in at minus 110 right now. The over-under is an even 52. Casey and I are both taking Wisconsin to cover. He's taking the over, however, and I am not. And I'm going to tell you why. I think this is the game that's going to be a very complete game for Wisconsin. They're going to not necessarily look like world beaters on offense, but you're going to see those typical, there's going to be two or three drives that are six minutes or longer, eight to ten kind of plays, a lot of runs, just milking that clock. I think they're going to win this game 41-3. to This is an Eastern Michigan team that last week, they lost their starting quarterback in a game against St. Francis PA, which might as well be a high school. You get to see him, I think, what, in the A-10 play, like St. Bonaventure in basketball. You remember the school for like three days a year. To see them play football against a Division I school was mind-boggling to me. But yeah, Preston Hutchinson was their starting quarterback. I don't know if he's going to start. It looks like he's questionable with a head injury. So Ben Bryant, he did come in and look okay. Again, remember the competition, but he went 8 for 10, 126 yards. I don't think Eastern Michigan's able to move the ball. I think Wisconsin moves the ball at will. They cover easily, but the over does not hit. We're looking 41-3 Wisconsin. Taking Wisconsin, they're, they're going to have a bounce back week, I think. They're going to get the job done. This Eastern Michigan team is not, not great. So Wisconsin bounces back. I think Graham Mertz has a good game. Wisconsin's running game. I, that whole Wisconsin offensive unit really, really needs this bounce back week. This, this has to be a big week for them. If they don't have a bounce back week, it's going to be a long Long season for them. I am also taking the under of 52 because I think Wisconsin's defense is pretty good. We saw it last week. They played, I mean, they played pretty well. They only gave up, what, 10 points? No. 16, but I guess you can also wonder how many of those points really do fall in the offense. I'm trying what? to remember. No, I like, I'm trying to remember how many of those points are like off turnovers and stuff like that. Oh, right. Yeah, exactly. Wisconsin's offense did not help them out last week whatsoever uh, with their turnovers and, and, and whatnot. So I think Wisconsin will be able to dominate uh, on the defensive side of the ball. I don't see Eastern Michigan even scoring probably into the double digits, and I think Wisconsin has a big game. No score prediction, but Wisconsin with the cover and the under. I like that. Now we're going to fly through these next two games because they're FCS opponent games. They're For whatever reason, they're both night games. That kind of surprised me too looking at this. The Idaho Vandals are going to Bloomington in a, you want to talk about a get-right game, the definition of a get-right game after what Michael Penix Jr. in that Hoosiers offense went through last They need to pull him. They need to pull him. I was trying to protect him, all right? I'm not saying the guy needs to be benched. I'm just saying we need to That was to the hottest the take of the weekend. That was I the hottest take it. of the weekend. How did you're, he look after you're I a said lunatic. that? How did he look after I said that? He didn't look good. Whatever, whatever. Anyways. We are not that's, on that's just as hot as Casey. Casey said, Iowa undefeated. Well, yeah, naturally. He's going to do that all year, too. We almost need Iowa State to lose this week to kill that before it gets going. I can't afford to call Madison, to call Wisconsin going 12-0, and and then have Iowa to do it the year that Casey connects his horse and buggy to the team. Can't have it. But here, for the Idaho and Indiana game, I feel weird even saying Idaho talking about football. I keep thinking I'm like having a, a speech thing where I'm forgetting something. 
Idaho beat Simon Fraser last week. I'm not 100% sure that's a school and not a person. There's a chance they beat a person 68-0 last week, and I wouldn't be that surprised with Idaho. Nothing to say here about Indiana other than this is a game that they needed to get right. They're going to win. They should win by a lot. Hopefully this at least makes Penix Jr. feel comfortable enough going into that Cincinnati game the following week that we're not talking about is Cincinnati beating an old Indiana team. I don't want to have that conversation. I have absolutely nothing to say about this game except for Indiana literally cannot play worse than what they did last week. Like, they they should come out and roll. They're playing a damn FCS team. If they don't, all the good things we said about Tom Allen all last year might as well be wiped out the window. Yeah, let's really hope we don't have to have that conversation in two weeks. It won't be next week because they're not losing to Idaho. It won't be a close game. But when we're doing our Sunday show, two weeks from what will that be? The 12th? I don't want to have to be talking about Indiana is possibly frauds. Don't want to have it. Now, here's a game that might be equally as boring. Howard. I think it's the Howard Bison. I might be wrong, but I think the Howard Bison are playing the Maryland Terrapins, 730 on Big Ten Network. So, again, it's going to depend on where you are in the country to see if you're getting that game or not. Maryland plays Illinois next week and Kent State after that before probably hosting Iowa at 4-0. This is another game, almost fun. It's not a get-right game. You just won against a West Virginia team. Yeah, they're not going to be particularly anything special in the Big 12, but it's a game you really wanted to win. You wanted to get Talia Tagovailoa in that offense, feeling good, clicking here and before you get into the Big 10 schedule. I imagine that we're going to see a, a blowout here as well in the 40s to, like, what, low teens, kind of something like that. Do you have any thoughts on this game, or is it another one that we're just going to kind of blow through? No, yeah, it, we're going to blow through it, but I I just want to say that I was actually impressed with Maryland last week. I thought they played a pretty good game, and they showed that they have some weapons there on the outside. Rakeem Jarrett, that kid is is really good. I think they have a quarterback. He's the five-star, too, right? Raheem Jarrett? Yeah, Rakeem Jarrett It was a five-star, highly, highly rated. Ohio State was going after him hard. And I, I think he committed to LSU for a minute and then flipped to Maryland kind of, maybe not later in the process, but obviously after the, after he committed to LSU. I think he, that's where he was originally. Because he's a hometown kid, right? He's from that area? Yeah, yeah. I think he's from the D.C. area. But, you know, he's a he's a special weapon there on the outside. And I think they have a quarterback in to his little bro that can – that can deliver the ball to him, and I and I think that makes them a little a little exciting. And I, and if I were a Maryland fan, I I would be I would be thrilled with the way that first game went. I completely agree. That was as good of a first game as you could possibly hope for. Like something I think we said it was like four hundred and ninety five yards, and they gave up like three hundred. And that's a Maryland defense that we have seen and grown accustomed to being Swiss cheese in the Big Ten. Even if there's a marginal improvement. That team can be competitive, and if you get them on the wrong day, on a day where Jarrett and Tagovailoa are cooking, Maryland can be scary. We saw what they did to Ohio State a few years ago, falling a point short in that Dwayne Haskins game. Maybe there's a chance that you could have a similar kind of scary team in the Big Ten this year, but we'll keep our eye on that, expect another big win there, and hopefully they do roll into that Iowa game 4-0. That could make for some fun. But now to our primetime Big Ten game of the week. 
was a lot more exciting last week before the Washington Huskies fell short to the Montana Grizzlies out of nowhere. Seemingly, I didn't even have that on my radar as a potential possibility that they would lose that game. And they lose, and their offense looked like a joke the entire time doing it. Michigan is a six-and-a-half-point favorite here. The money is coming in on them, too. Casey is picking Michigan to cover. We're not doing any bets there for the money line because it's outside that number. The over-under is 48-and-a-half. Casey has the over. Now, Hayden, do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first on this one? I couldn't care less. I think I want you to go first on this one. I would love to. So I'll tell you what I've got going on. I have flip-flopped about nine times since I started this on whether or not I think Michigan's covering or not. That just felt so weird, the Washington game last week, where I don't trust their offense at all, and if they were struggling against Montana, we can shit on Michigan's defense year in and year out as much as we want. They have better athletes than the Montana Grizzlies. I am leaning to believe that Michigan is going to give their offense fits as well. But we talked about, I, I can't, the stat that I can't get out of my head is that they played the Western Michigan Broncos and they had one receiver with more than one catch. That is, it feels like an impossible stat to me. Like I looked at it like nine times before I actually believed what I was reading. And that, the that's the one where your eyes go a little cross-eyed looking at it. Like you're trying to figure out where the typo is and you can't, and you can't. Yeah, I started doing like adding up the other pass. I'm like, oh, they just didn't put all the receptions in here. And then I'm like, all right, so they completed 13 balls. Wow, like four or five to the back, couple to the tight end. No, one receiver. And it was 15 yards. They had two catch for 15 yards. I just, and that was CJ too. And that doesn't, and I know we talked about him, that doesn't get any easier without Ronnie Bell this week. That is, and I can't over, I can't say this enough. That is a huge, huge loss for them. And as far as Pac-12 defenses go, Washington is going to be about as stingy as you get. I know it's Montana. I know that Montana won. But the Washington defense is not to blame for what happened last week. They gave up less than 300 total yards in that game. Their problem in that game was their quarterback, Dylan Morris, threw three interceptions, and that offense ran the ball for 65 yards. They only had 291 yards on offense in their own right against a Montana defense. If you can run for 65 yards against an FCS team, what is a guy like Aiden Hutchinson going to do this week? You got to imagine, you want to talk about eating, he's going to feast. So I'm going to actually take Michigan to win after a lot of swaying back and forth. I'm going to take them to cover. And I'm going to say the under, this is a game too that I could feel being a really gross score. But I think I'm going to go a little bit more traditional with it. I'm going to go 27 to 17. I think Michigan's going to have to get a big defensive effort out because we're going to see a lot of struggles in that passing game until a new number one wide receiver emerges. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, Wally, but you are completely wrong on this game. Not so fast, my friend. Yeah, yeah. Give me that. You are completely wrong. Like you said, Washington's defense was not to blame for last week. They, they absolutely were not. I do, do not trust this Michigan offense. I know they had, you know, 40-some points against Western Michigan. I do not trust this offense. They weren't getting a huge push throughout the game when they were trying to run the ball against Western Michigan. That gets even tougher playing against Washington's, you know, your, your stingy Pac-12 defense. 
not to mention, and we've talked about it three times, losing Ronnie Bell is such a problem for them. I feel like a broken record. I cannot say enough how that's going to impact this game. With that being said, I, I've i went back and forth, similar to you, all week of I, what to do, what to do. I don't know what to do. I finally decided before this show, probably, you know, 5 o'clock today. I was leaving practice. I was thinking about it because I knew I had to make a pick. I'm going Washington plus 6.5. I know they looked bad last week, and obviously they lost to an FCS program. I'm going Washington plus six and a half. The over is, is going to hit. I'm going with the over of, was it, 48 and a half. Here's the kicker. I am also taking Washington on the money line. At the I big think, house. At, at the, the big, big house. house. Wow. At the big house. This, and, you know, this, I had a feeling that you guys were both going to be on Michigan this week, and I'm down in the standings. This is a chance that I think I can make up some ground. And you're already, I know what's... You're already scoreboard watching in week two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know. I know. I, I think this is a chance I can make up some ground. And I think Washington is going to look like a different team than they were against the Montana Grizzlies. I, I think they'll look much better. Now, obviously, in order to do this, they cannot lose a turnover battle. You cannot lose a turnover battle. You cannot throw three picks and you cannot only rush for 65 yards. Like, they have to obviously be much better on that side of the ball. And I think they will. I, I think they will. I think they'll score some points, which is why I'm taking the over. This will be more of... Before the season, we, we, we didn't know what to think of Michigan. We thought, you know, I, I forget what their total wins was this year. It was like seven and a half, I think. I was adamant that the under was going to hit on that. Just because of week one, I, I'm not changing my thought on that. Michigan did what they were supposed to, and they beat a team that they're supposed to beat. And I know Washington lost to a team that they were supposed to beat. Washington's going get, to get the job done, and it's going to be a bad, bad week for Michigan. Wow, that would be a bad week. And I, will, I actually want to ask a question, though. Two things, actually. One's a lot more trivial, so I'll start with that one since it's not a big deal. Have they announced that Michigan's doing that all blue thing for their night game this week, or are they still doing their traditional maize and blue? I literally have zero clue. Because as far as an alternate for Michigan goes, I kind of like that much more than, like, say, like, let's do a blackout or the all maize look that was disgusting, mountaineer kind of looking. So if they do something like that, I think it could be cool. And you know that place is going to be hopping because this is about as high-profile as a winnable game seems to get at Michigan, especially for a night game, is it? I know that sounds like a shot. I'm not trying to take a shot, but this is a opportunity for that fan base, for those student sections, for everybody to have a really good time. And I do think it's going to be rocking. But my second question I wanted to ask, is there a more vital player that could not afford to get hurt for a team in the Big Ten than the two guys that got hurt? last week in Mohammed Ibrahim and Ronnie Bell. Cause those are guys that you look immediately at the rosters they play on. They seem irreplaceable. Yeah, I totally agree with Ibrahim. We knew that before the season that he was going to be their best player. Now, Ronnie Bell, I don't necessarily think that we thought he was going to be as good as he was on Saturday. Completely I mean, he was agree. really good. Completely agree. And he had that one play, and I know it didn't count because I think they called offensive pass interference. He stuck his paw out there, one-handed, like, over his head, like, for 30 or 40 yards down the field. 
And I know they call it OPI, but <laughs> that dude has skill. And <laughs> this is now the fourth time that I've said it. I don't know what they're going to do on offense. I know that they looked... I don't think they looked great trying to run the ball, and I know their their running backs did score some touchdowns, but like on the average play, they weren't getting a huge push that you know I think that they should be against a team like that, like against a Mac school, and then to only have a receiver have one reception each, right? That was like the max. Oh, don't forget CJ out <sighs> there, two catches, fifteen yards. Yeah, I just, I don't know, man. I'm not impressed with them offensively yet. And and maybe we'll get there, and maybe they'll find some more weapons. And this would be a great place for them to start finding weapons. I Obviously, I'm rolling with Washington. I think they're going to get the job done. So if they found somebody, you know, throughout the week of practice or even throughout the summer, and maybe they didn't get as much playing time, now's the time to do it. Just reading between the lines of the Josh Gaddis interview, I think that A.J. Henning is going to be the guy that in a month we look back and say that's who they're looking to take the step forward. They already know he's got that speed explosiveness and that agility to be a punt returner. They want to see that go into what Ronnie Bell it seemingly made the steps this year and become a more polished wide receiver. He's not going to be Ronnie Bell, but hopefully for his sake, he's going to at least be able to be a serviceable number one. And I think it's going to be enough this running game is going to be enough for Michigan this week. And if not, if they're struggling to run the ball, I think it's going to be a long night. But I don't think that that's going to be an issue this week, just later down the road. Again, I have Michigan winning this game 27-17. to Here's my one thought that I, I do want to finish this with. It has to do with the Michigan running game. So I'm looking at their stats from last week. Yes, they had 330 rushing yards. And yes, they averaged 7.8 a carry. But they ran two reverse type things, I guess I would call them. And one went for a 74-yard touchdown. That was A.J. Henning. That was the guy you were talking about for stepping up. So yeah, that's great. It's not going to work against Washington, I don't think. Also, they had a 43-yard carry by Roman Wilson... On, I think it was, if I remember right, it was a similar type play. It was so that they like jet sweepy kind of feeling, wasn't so, it? Yeah, and I don't think that's going to work against Washington. That was two plays right there for 100, let me do the math, 117 yards. So, and I know, yeah, you take those plays out, yeah, everybody says that. But honestly, like, without those two, their, their rush, their average yards per carry – and obviously their total yards comes way down from where it was. And I hate playing that game because it did happen, but it's it's just reality that I don't think once they start playing better competition, they can out-athlete people. Like, A.J. Henning, I don't think is going to be able to do that against formidable conference opponents. You're not buying into your Blake Corum hype and Hassan, why well, I almost said Hassan Reddick, Hassan Haskins. I do think Blake Corum is good. I, I think he can be good. He has... He has that burst. He has that pop. But once you start playing games against even or even you're not as talented against teams, which they won't be as talented against some of the teams they play this year, I don't know if that neutralizes him to a degree. No, that's that's a fair, I guess, piece of concern going into this game. I think that this is going to also be one, like Oregon, that we almost need to revisit in a month and a half to reevaluate if Washington was the team we thought they were going to be 
And if Michigan was a team that we potentially thought they were going to be. But we'll let Saturday unravel first before we start going into that. We'll talk more about that on Sunday morning with our Michigan expert. He can call himself not a fan. We get to say he is now without the comeback. But Casey, being the Michigan guy, we'll love to hear from him more on Sunday. But that is going to bring us to the end of another episode of Pigskins and Nylon. We will be back early next week to break down the week two games. We'll have Casey back with us. And we have that Drew Meyer interview coming back on the podcast to talk Illinois and Virginia. I'll be talking to him before the matchup tomorrow, which is Friday. So keep that in mind as you're listening. Make sure to give us a follow on Twitter at P&NPod, Facebook at P&NPod, and Instagram also at P&NPod. That's good on the housekeeping stuff there, Hayden. Do you have any final thoughts for us today before you go watch your Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Yeah, no, my final thought is my Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They start the quest to repeat as Super Bowl champions. I was excited for last year, obviously, with the additions to the team. I didn't think they were going to win the Super Bowl. This year, I am, like, ecstatic. I've never been more excited for an NFL season to start because I know, and maybe I'm setting myself up for disappointment, I know how good this team could be this year. And I've never really had a NFL team that was good or even great. So uh, this is my chance. And I'm going to soak it up as much as I can over this year and, you know, however long Tom Brady wants to play. I think you should probably take off your Hayden, because it is 8.01 here Eastern time. I'll let you go while I wrap up. They're doing a song right now. I have it muted. I can't tell. It looks like the Florida A&M Rattlers band or marching uh or choir, I should say. So go and watch your banner raising. You might only get to see that once in your life, so do not miss it. I'll wrap up here. My final thought, you guys... Go Bucks. Go Bucks is right. Beat the Ducks on Saturday. My final thought is just simply share these podcasts with your friends, family. It's our time to grow now. I love you guys. Keep on doing what you're doing. We love that interaction, and I hope you enjoy how much effort and time we are putting into this each week. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you back here for episode 21 of Pigskins and Nylon on Monday morning.